Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. We'll meet an ambassador for poetry today on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. What does an Iowa poetry ambassador do? We'll ask one, Lola Nakashima Brook, on Scribble. Last time I met an ambassador... (laughs) It was a Belgian consul. <laughs> well, I know you raise your eyes there, but we used to have one in in uh, Moline. Seriously? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> she was here permanently and ran a gift shop. Oh my! Yeah, the Flemish Lion. It was wonderful. I would shop there at least every Christmas Eve. But Lola, congratulations. Thank you. How did you become an ambassador? I mean, did you volunteer? Did did they vote or what? Uh, It's a strange process. It's not always strange, but it's not one that many people know about because it's a relatively new thing. So the way I got into it was because I do stuff with the Midwest Writing Center, (laughs) and they are sort of part of Iowa City Poetry, and the original way that they would submit poets for this program was that they talked to the Scholastic Foundation, but then after a few years, they started branching out more to other poetry organizations in the state to see if they could get like other young poets, mm-hmm. and that's how they found me. That's how they found you. That's mm-hmm. how they found you. And, and where did they find you? Where uh, are you from? I'm from Davenport. You are Davenport. Yeah, I was born and raised there, but I do the Midwest Writing Center's uh, youth uh, summer internship. Okay. I've done it for the past two years, and I'm going to do it this year. But it's over. It's in based here in Rock Island, usually at the library. Yeah. And yeah, we get together like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, five thirty to five thirty to seven thirty. And we just basically write all the time. And by the end of it, we have like a full magazine ready to go. Whoa. How did you happen to move into poetry? Was it an accident? Was it purposeful? What? What what happened? I'd say it was both kind of an accident and purposeful because I hadn't done a lot of poetry before. You know, I did like the little rhyming stuff that (laughs) I was like, this feels too much like a nursery rhyme. But there's nothing wrong with nursery (laughs) rhymes. No, no, I know that now. That I know that. (laughs) Those are the best kinds of poetry right there. (laughs) But. I was writing more just, like, fiction and stuff like that. And my mom, she – it was right after uh, the COVID year, so she Mm. was like, okay, you need to get out more. So (laughs) she found – a friend of hers found this thing, and she was like, you should do this. And I was like, okay, I can do poetry more. And because of that internship, I just started writing, like, all sorts of poetry, and I learned to experiment with it. Uh Uh-huh. Were you working then with Ryan Collins? He's – I know – Mm-hmm. 
yeah. hands-on with a lot of stuff through the Midwest Writing Center. Yeah, and the internship, he's always a huge help, along yeah. with Sarah. They just they make sure that you feel welcome, that you can really just share anything that you've written. Like they there's have, no they have a big thing news. coming up in June, don't they, a conference? Yeah, we have the, uh, the David R. Collins Writing Conference, I think. I think yeah, that's it. That's I it. probably should look that up, but yeah. No, you've got it right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's... Uh, that's turned into quite an operation, hasn't it? It has. It's a big yeah. thing. Yep. In uh, the years since I came to Augustana, um, it's changed a lot and grown enormously, and it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, are there many poets involved in that, or are they mostly writers? Um, I'd say it's a mix of the two. Like at in the internship internship that I do, we get like free passage and tickets to go there and take part in the workshops that they do. And they've just got all sorts of writers there. Yeah. Like, it's a whole, like, melting pot of writing. Yeah. When, they... did you, when did you first start writing poetry? Um, probably around when I was in middle school or elementary school. But, ser- like, when I started writing more seriously with it, I'd say probably freshman year of high school. Okay. And what do you mean by seriously? Like, I started dedicating more time to it and actually trying to create stuff that I'd be proud of. And was that through a class, or that was just you loving it? Um, I took a creative writing class Mm -hmm. when I was in eighth grade at the Creative Arts Academy. Okay. And, you know, I think it was then that I started doing more serious poetry stuff, but I didn't, like, sort of delve into it until freshman year. Yeah. All right. Uh Well, it's... uh... It's amazing, you know, that you have uh, received such recognition so early. But what exactly does a poetry ambassador do? I that... mean, do you wear a sash? Uh, you... <laughs> I kind of hope I do. Yeah, I kind of hope I get a nice little sash. That'd be nice. But it's a relatively new position. So when I was sort of inducted into it, they were like, okay, you're like the third ever. So you sort of just get to make it your own thing. Mm-hmm. Like I know the previous uh, Iowa student poetry investor, Johnny Each. I think she focused more on uh, environmental stuff. And I said that I wanted to help like get poetry more into schools. Okay. Uh, do you move around? Do you stay here? Uh, I mean, I had to move around a lot a couple of weeks ago when I had to go to the Capitol, <laughs> which I'd never actually been to before. But, I mean, I some of it I get to do virtually. Like, I get to do virtual meets for, like, I think it's the All Iowa Reads. Okay. But sometimes I do have to go places, like, throughout the state. Yeah. Uh, everything is getting to be virtual, isn't it? I mean, it it was forced to be virtual for a while, and then people were sort of glad to get back in public, but we discovered that we could do things virtually, and that's been sometimes a... a, Sometimes it's good, yeah, yeah, because you can get people in no matter where they are, but you do... I do like when things are in person as well, because there's a more personal level to it. I'm a fanatic for personal contact. I... uh, I look at my computer with admiration and loathing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a machine. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, it's just, you know, it it commands too much attention these days, I Mm. think. Although uh, my relationship with the iPhone is much better. I just keep it in my hip pocket turned off. That's the way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So... 
So let's see. Um, do you get to work with staff? Can you have people help you with whatever it is you're organizing in this position, or is it all on you? It, I'm really thankful that it is not all on me yeah. because I've got way too much stuff on my shoulders just to be doing all that, sure. especially because I've got senior year coming up. Yeah. But uh, Jan okay. Warren, who works at the University of Iowa, she's been a great help with it. Like, I'll send her emails and I'll be like, hey, do I get to do this? What's up with this? And she'll be like, oh, yeah, here's, she'll give me all the information. Yeah, I get lots of help, and I'm really thankful for that. That's good. Is, is she kind of uh, managing your operation? Basically, yeah. Because I'm still, like, a minor, I can't do, like, everything all on my own. Yeah. So they have her there basically just to help guide me through it and set stuff up. Uh-huh. So if they suddenly call you and say, we'd like to have you come to Sioux City for a meeting. <laughs> oh, man, I'd have to say, oh, yeah, I have to put you through Jan. Yeah, I wish I could say it's yes right now, but you got to talk to her first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, the obligations of office, I must say. Yeah. Well, so have you been doing readings? Is that part of what you're required to do is travel places and read? Mm-hmm. I... I haven't done any readings yet because I basically just got it, but I've got some set up throughout the year that are sort of like the mandatory stuff okay. that they give the poetry ambassador. But like throughout time, as the year goes on, if they want me to do more readings, just like certain poetry organizations, if they ask and it's accepted, then I can go do those too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we'd like you to do some reading too. Hey. Right. <laughs> How many poems have you written? Do you keep count? Oh, I really wish I did. That'd be... I don't know how much. I, it'd be difficult to consider because some of the stuff I just keep in like little notebooks. I don't really consider them like poems. They're just like little starts to stuff. And then I have like stuff on my computer that I write. And sometimes I consider those poems, but I'm, I don't know. It'd be better just to do like a word count of how much of the stuff I'd written. Well, I hear that. And if you're keeping notebooks, you mm-hmm. often are just kind of, oh, I want to remember that. Yeah. So I'm going to take a note here and you may or may not get back to them. It's like but... January 3rd. I saw this. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. 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 You'll notice that Rebecca has a pen in her hand. Oh. <laughs> she is never without it. I can't think without a pen. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of can't talk even very clearly. If I, don't. I do it in class, too, when I'm teaching. I have to have a pen. We'll be going along, and all of a sudden she starts writing it. I think, what was just <laughs> What? What was that? <laughs> no, it's just notes to self. Yeah, you know? I like pens better than pencils sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, read some of your poems for us, will you? All right. I've got one that I thought was like, oh, this one's kind of dismal and sad. <laughs> but, I mean, there was just a shooting in uh, Allen, Texas. So oh, I yes. thought okay. it's a poem read, about gun read, violence. Read it slowly so I can follow you. It's all right. I got you. Okay. It doesn't have a title yet because if there's anything poets are really bad at, it's titling their work. Uh-huh. Either it comes right away or you spend like months not having a title. Yep. All right. I think the worst thing about gun violence in this country is the fact that I don't feel anything anymore. The correct term for it would be desensitization. And even though people have mixed feelings on definition poetry, the word desensitization is a psychological term. It's a treatment or process in which emotional responses are diminished to negative, positive, or aversive emotional stimulus after repeated exposure. I've written about gun violence before, but that was when I still felt any kind of emotion towards what was happening. See, video games and movies don't desensitize me towards cannibalism and drug use and prejudice. If anything, it made me hyper-aware. Guns? 
I used to feel sad and awful and angry that I could walk into a supermarket, my own house, go to a concert, see a movie, go to church for once, and get shot. You know what the worst part was? I'm the lucky one. I've never watched kids bleed out and and die, and I've never been shot. I just get to worry. To think. What if he has a gun? And now I'll be looking through news articles, see, shooting in blank, blank killed, blank wounded, and I don't feel anything. I react to it the same way I react to, in Bahamas, conch fishing is a way of life. But for how long? Patrick Whittle, AP News. I don't feel anything. Apathy. Because I'm already on a roll with citations here, let me explain my point of view with a quote from my favorite video game, the 2004 game Knights of the Old Republic 2, where Kreia says, Apathy is death. Worse than death, because at least a rotting corpse feeds the beasts and insects. American public school is apathy. It's school shooter jokes and bomb threats and a lockdown every so often to keep you on your toes. You don't feel anything. If I do feel anything, it's confusion when people ask me, why would you want to leave America? Why the fuck do you think? Kim Reynolds made it legal to carry a handgun without a permit. Mind you that news stations reported her considering this a couple weeks after 10 people were shot and killed in Boulder. 2021, if you, like me, forgot. I feel like it's useless to say how many more, because no one else is listening. I mean, it's a good question. Who has to die for things to change? Do I have to get shot? My brother and sister? My cousins? My classmates? My friends? What has to happen? Do your kids have to get shot? What do I have to do? What do you want? When will the suffering be enough? Does someone have to come up and shoot up Congress for you to understand the terror that people hear that I live through daily? Or will you wipe it from your mind when the NRA pays you $1,000 for each man dead? When will it be enough for you? For a second, my own apathy dissipates, and I feel like throwing up. But give me 10 minutes or 10 seconds, and it'll be gone. I'll be no different than dead. Wow. (laughs) I must say, just another shooting. You know, it's it's almost monotonous. Shootings every week. At least one. At least one mass shooting every oh, week. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And I wanted to write about that. More. Well, and I wonder about those of you who had to grow up having drills for you know an active mm-hmm. shooter in the school. We had tornado drills, but there's a, yeah. a whole different. Yeah, you're trying to stay alive, but you aren't up against something or someone with ill intent. And you know, I I don't know. You can't keep being panicked all the time and yet you can't pretend you don't know what you know yeah so a majority of people want some control over this but uh, a minority controls the whole situation mm-hmm. and money talks yeah it course. does of course uh, what is it shakespeare says though it have no tongue yet will money speak with most miraculous organ yeah Ooh, and yeah. it's true money talks yeah. And the armament industry wants to make money. People have invested in it. Mm-hmm. And they need more people to... We have more guns, far more guns than people in this country. Mm-hmm. And you think, when is enough? Yeah. Uh, and are you kidding me? Assault rifles? I know. Who needs know. that? You really don't. I don't see the point in it. See, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm not even asking for just like, you know, we take away all the guns or any kind of radical change. Just even symbolic change would be enough at this point because I 
like you said, I had like school shooter drills growing up and it didn't really hit me like that why we were having this until I got older and things yeah. just started getting progressively worse. Yeah. And then, I mean, I used to get so angry about it and I wrote about how angry I was about that. And now I just like, I was like so horrified at my own apathy to it that I had to write that down because I didn't entirely understand it. You know, what's interesting to me though, is that what you're experiencing as apathy, the minute it takes shape in a poem, mm -hmm. um, it's something more than that. Even if you're recognizing and addressing, I don't know how to keep responding to this. That I think, um, that's what poets do, mm -hmm. is try to find language yeah. for things we don't have language for. Especially when you're just trying to explain something through writing and you end up realizing it while you're writing yeah. it. That's a good thing with poetry because when you're trying to explain something or document some kind of reaction or emotional story that you've had and you end up discovering something about yourself or realizing something while you're writing that, that's a good thing that comes with poetry. Yep. Well, what are you going to do? You know, it's uh, it's not, I don't know what you call it apathy, but it's just, it's become so common. Yeah. yeah. And the real difficulty, <clears throat> let me put a, get up on the DS here and give my Ooh. lecture. <laughs> <laughs> the real problem is that these things happen to other people. Yeah. And we are so insular that unless it happens to us, we're not passionate about it. Which is one of the lines that you had there. Yeah. was kind of, does we, it have to happen to my brother, to me? To... That's right. Mm -hmm. Unless it happens to you, people say uh, global warming is a hoax. Yeah. Unless a tornado hits their house. Yeah. And yeah. then, well, our, my viewpoint has changed. Mm -hmm. But it's once you adopt a position, it's so hard to change. Mm -hmm. Yep. It really is. We are not accustomed to that. And yet, change is what life is all about. Well, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that, you know, you kind of set this up as, oh, no, this is going to be kind of depressing. But I think that one of the reasons that lots of poems are, my students say that, too. It's too, I don't want to read this. It's too depressing. Yeah. And I think, no, that's what we have to talk about. And we are working it out when you sit down to write it into a poem. Um we can write happy poems. Those are yeah, good, too. I like but, happy stuff. but they maybe aren't as urgent somehow. Do you write happy poems? I write. I've, read a, I've written a few happy poems. Yeah, my dad was like, he would go to stuff that I'd read. And he was like, why is everybody writing about all this sad stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. We're all a bunch of, like, adolescents. We're kind of you focused on that one thing. have poems in your poem? I have a happy one if you guys want to hear that. Oh, yes. Sure. Let's just yeah. turn up the lights here. <laughs> so I teach um, at Augustana. College and my students always of creative writing are that's sort of their they want to write happy poems and then they fail terribly. Yeah, <laughs> then, it's they, a... then they go say, Nope, got to go back to the dark <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know, uh, it's poetry is an intellectual operation, but the emotions ride on it, yeah, mm -hmm. and it's the things that move you. Yeah. that uh, prompt you to write poetry. Yeah. This is sort of about something that moved me and made me just like very happy. Uh, I went to London with my marching band a couple oh, cool. months ago, but uh, we got to ride on the train a lot, and I really like riding on trains, yeah. so I wrote this about it. It sort of went through a lot of development. There is an incredibly romantic aspect to riding the train. 
I reacted to it the same way I reacted to glitter highlighter. I wanted to use it all the time. It is hot and stuffy, and you want to let go of your pole to go tumbling back into people in puffy coats just to feel someone's arms around you. But I like it. I was always very good at being quiet. I just think while I'm on the train. I invent songs from the drumbeats of the train hitting the track going faster and faster and faster. I feel like I am everything on the train. I am myself and the people around me, their souls bleeding into mine when they shove me trying to stay steady as the train starts moving again. It's funny watching people shift and wave like grass as the train screeches and stops. Part of me wishes I'd brought earbuds to listen, to watch people move in time with the beat in my head. Sometimes it is lonely, people watching on tartan seats, but really, it is hard to feel lonely surrounded by people. I hear dialogue from passerby, from debating sisters, unruly boys, uptight fathers, and a mother doting on her son, a mother who's noting her son is crying, is because he just wants to hold the appealing yellow pole my hand rests on. I don't even think I just move half a foot so his little hand can worm through the crowd of people and hold on to the pole. It's half the size of mine. His mother calls him Jensen, and the man who's been complaining the whole ride about how many people there are smiles at the boy and calls him son. His mother smiles and thanks me, and I can't even bring myself to reciprocate because I'm so taken aback. I don't remember her face now. I remember her smile. I remember how much she loved her son. I could see it on her face. I remember the little boy. I don't really remember why I moved. I just did. Because he was so little, and he was crying so loud, and he was so, so little. I just moved. He gets off at Holborn. The train is the greatest thing in the world to me, because it's been four months since I saw Jensen and co., and every time I think about them, someone ends up asking me, what are you smiling about? <laughs> oh, yeah. wonderful. That's terrific. Oh, I love the places that mm-hmm, went. Yeah. Um, that's... That was actually the tube, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The London tube is really something. It's something. It's a strange place, but I love it down there. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. It just amazes me how you can move around London that way. Mm-hmm. We used to take station trips for about eight to ten years i can't remember now Mm. but uh i used to go on them and my goodness what a wonderful place it is yep all the uh england has pillaged the world and brought all the treasures to london yeah (laughs) (laughs) i love how you started that one by comparing using the train to having discovered glitter highlighter, yeah. you know, and then you discover that and you want it only that all the time. But I would never think to compare those two mm-hmm. things. So now I have a new association from yeah. having listened to that. It's very nice. We have a little time left. Do you have another poem you want to read? Oh, let's see. Uh, this one's also a little depressing, but I mean... <laughs> It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's it's important. So I mean, it is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I read this one. I want to say a week ago at the uh, Love Girls Awards, which was in Bettendorf, I think. Okay. But uh, I wrote it about uh, the internment of Japanese Americans during mm-hmm. World War Two because I there's a lot of strange coincidences with like media and stuff and books about the internment that all happened sort of all at once. A couple of months ago, and I was like, oh, this is too weird. i got to write about this. Okay. Yeah. But, all right. Battle of the Books this year, we argue over books about the internment by Tracy Chi. The title is a little too on the nail, and I stare at the cover for a moment. 
We are not free. It is a question of heritage, the words behind barbed wire held in my throat. Grandpa Vic and Uncle George got out. Mom wonders aloud how, my mom wonders aloud how awful it would have been for him. A Japanese doctor, a man with the face of an enemy, trying to treat American soldiers. I wonder if he ever saw his homeland, a place across the ocean, the wasteland left behind. Where is the sacrifice in being told to enlist, in healing, loving the people who condemn you, being forced to watch your mother and father's country burn as a stick of incense to ash? But what choice do you have? What choice do they give you? What choice do you have left? Books splayed out with peering colors. We have to write an essay this time. Pick one. I choose Snow Falling on Cedars about Japanese internment. Does it have to be written by a white guy? All right, the character is white. Oh, please. Why am I picking it anyway? I could reread Bel Canto. My essay would be done in seconds. I remember reading the articles years ago, tasting the blood in my mouth, smelling iron when I saw they put children in cages at the border. But I wasn't all that surprised. The government, this government has always liked barbed wire. Maybe it's stupid, maybe it's overreacting, but my friends always joke about why I distrust the government. But if I've learned anything, it's that if you think the government wouldn't do something that horrible, they already have. When I was very young, young enough that memories blurred and burned, singed on the hedges, my mother buys So Far From the Sea by Eve Bunting. She is crying when she reads it to me. I don't understand why. It sits on the shelf next to the book on Manzanar. My family was at Minidoka. Does it matter? Why chase the history? My great-grandpa Vic was Nisei. Grandpa Jimmy was Sansei. My mom and my uncle Michael are Yonsei. Does this make me Gosei? Or am I just American at this point? Grandpa Vic was. You know, that's very good. I remember when that happened. You do? And I thought that was just terrible. Yeah. I said, if that's the case, why don't you lock up all the German-Americans? Mm-hmm. Because we're fighting Germany. Yeah. You know, why don't you lock up all the Italian-Americans? Because we're fighting Italy. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. pick on the Japanese? And But there's that deep prejudice along the West Coast that, that goes way back. It's as bad as the Southern prejudice against blacks. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. But we're crazy yeah. sometimes. Sometimes we're just a little crazy. I, I'm kind of struck by that line about, um, was it, this government has always liked barbed wire. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's got lines like that that just, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to deal with government. I was in it for a while. And to see how things operate and what the pressures are to do and not do. And how hard it is to get something done that really is, how can I put it, useful? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Benefits individuals and so on. It's so hard to do because, once again, money is the main concern. And until we can get past that, and we never will, I don't know that anything will change significantly. Mm -hmm. But... Poetry is a good way to yeah. take it on. We always have it's, poetry. Yep. It's it's well, an act of rebellion. A rebellion well, really is. You two have poetry. What have I got? Oh, you've got, <laughs> well, think about it. Think got about the, radio. the different things you've done. Yeah, well, I mean, but poetry, I've tried it. 
and I'm not very good at it. Well, the the problem for poetry always is that not enough people read it. The the people who need to read it most probably mm -hmm. are the ones who are not interested. I mean, if we're talking so. about acts of rebellion, think about how radio has been used. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, do you look back on your poetry with great satisfaction? I mean, some of it, I'll look back on the stuff that I wrote when I was like 11 and 12, and I'll be like, ugh. <laughs> I, I, was, I was going through some things, I see. <laughs> but, I mean, most of it I do look back on with a bit of pride. Even if I don't really like it, I'm like, that needed some work. I'll just take pride in the fact that I wrote it down, that yeah. I took the courage to just be like, you know what, I'm going to write this. That's uh -huh. kind of evidence of who you were at that mm -hmm. point in time, and we have to honor that. But all writers do that, right? Yeah. They look back at their juvenilia and go yeah. oh no. i know people you will know, just look back at our stuff and be like i'll be like oh this is so great and I'm like oh no it's not <laughs> well that's you know once it's in print you're stuck yeah it's print true never, never dies lola i am so delighted that you spent time with us today i'm glad to be here and i am impressed i am meeting an ambassador for poetry and that means it's Rebecca, that's something you can aspire to. Yes. I think you're old. <laughs> but for right now, we're out of time. Our guest has been Alola Nakashimi Brook, the Iowa Ambassador for Poetry. We'll see you next week on the next edition of Scribble.